0: Welcome to the Indigo Podcast, an exploration of human flourishing at work and beyond. I'm Ben Barron of Indigo Anchor and Cleveland State University. And I'm
1: Chris Everett of Indigo Anchor. For more information, please visit us at www.indigopodcast.com. All right, so today's topic is love in an elevator, all about workplace romance. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) oh my goodness and uh that is actually the the tamest
0: title that we uh for this podcast episode we did a little bit of market research and went out and asked asked some folks out there what we should title a podcast episode about
1: workplace romance and uh got a got some pretty interesting responses didn't we Uh, yeah and when we said we did a survey we we just texted our Friends, there, uh, yeah, are weird. Basically. Um, a uh, special thanks to Jordan from Washington, D.C., um, for his prolific uh submissions, all of which were <laughs> stuff we couldn't talk about on this podcast, <laughs> <laughs> but gave us a tremendous laugh when we were looking at them. Uh, that's for sure. Yeah, that that guy should write for a Will Ferrell movie, like old school <laughs> part four or something, but um, I could see it, yeah, Ben. So, uh What are we going to talk about today in the episode?
0: Right. So we broke this into a couple pieces, and we're going to talk about different types of workplace romances and how they form. Uh, We're going to talk about some of the impacts that these have on individuals, teams, and broader organization. And we're going to try to provide some implications, you know, some things maybe what we should do and maybe should not do
1: with regard to this entire topic. So we're drawing um, from a nice summary in the Encyclopedia of Industrial and Organizational Psychology, written by Charles Pierce, P-I-E-R-C-E, um, from the University of Memphis, and also a good article in the MIT Sloan Management Review by John Pierce, that's a P-E-A-R-C-E, uh, of Villanova University. So. Yes. Good, good stuff from those guys. But Ben, we had some pauses on doing this episode.
0: We did. And it's basically because both of us come from a a background and just a kind of a mindset where, you know, this is workplace romance. We're like, no, horrible idea, right? And, uh, you know, uh, part of this is because we're also in the military and there are some fairly strong um, norms and rules around this uh, in the military. Um, you know, and, uh, it's interesting though, when I was thinking more about this, after we did some preparation for this episode, I realized that, you know, so I met my wife in undergrad. Um, but we, we were actually kind of brought together because we were both resident assistants. We were both kind of laying down the law in the, in the dorms. And so we were, we were kind of working together. <laughs> and um, <laughs> So here I am, here I am thinking, oh, you know, we, we, always a bad idea or whatever and uh you know in a little way not not kind of the truest sense of the of the um you know phrase yeah sure justify it however you want exactly Uh, i'll I'll explain (laughs) it away to myself but um i would say it wasn't truly a workplace romance but it did bring us together right and uh and here we are um you know a decade and a half later um actually more than that but uh all is good so you know um the thing is is that this this whole topic of workplace romance and this re- reality, uh, it's unav- unavoidable, kind of in the broader workplace context. It happens, um, you know?
1: Yeah, it's just a whole, it's so rife with risk, but like, let's be honest about the workplace now, and it's going to happen. It's just like fraternization happens. All this stuff just happens somehow. So in a survey by Career Builder back in 2009... of respondents revealed that they have dated a coworker um, with 18% indicating two or more, you know, relationships. Guess, guess they didn't learn the first time. (laughs) (laughs) And then, and then there's 12% on the sidelines that really wanted a coworker type relationship. Interesting.
0: Right, so I think that indicates at least you know I I don't know how scientific that survey was, but I think it does indicate at least that there this is this is not an uncommon thing. You know, it's not that most people are doing this, but it's it's definitely uh, something that that is not unusual. Um, And and it's also you know, and we'll talk about this a little bit more I think later in the episode. But we spend so much of our working time or live you know awake time at work, uh, it's bound to happen, and you know. It's not necessarily terrible, but there's it's just risky, and you got to navigate these things appropriately. Um, so maybe let's just jump in and, and talk a little bit about what are some of these different types of workplace romances, and and how, and we can talk a little bit then about how they form and
1: develop. Right. So there are five uh, main types of workplace romance, um, and so I I guess let's just go through the list, and this is the stuff that that we pulled from the encyclopedia of industrial and organizational psych article mm-hmm. by Charles Pierce. Um so the first one's companionate. So both employees are genuinely in love with one another and seeking long-term companion or spouse. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> so and you know the researchers will divide this stuff up. They'll figure out, you know, what it is. And so I I guess this is probably one of the better motivated ones. Hey, you right. really like the person and you're looking for that long-term uh, companion or, or whatever. So what's what's the second one, Ben?
0: Yeah, so number two is the passionate uh, workplace romance. And this is uh, where both employees are genuinely in love with one another and are seeking adventure, ego, satisfaction, excitement, sexual gratification, right? So it's, it's uh, you know, perhaps a little bit different than the seeking of the long-term companion or spouse.
1: Right. And if you're looking for ego satisfaction in a relationship, um, you'll have a lot of good company, but probably not the most successive, uh, successful longevity. So no. totally recommend um, you check some better uh, marriage books or something on on that stuff. Um <laughs> The the third one is fling. Um, so both employees are seeking adventure, ego satisfaction, excitement, and sexual gratification. So yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. it's so funny because you know just you and I, just based on kind of who we are and our upbringings and so forth, it's a very foreign concept to us. But I I I am aware that this happens apparently.
1: <laughs> right. So I mean flings are just like, I mean they're just pure sexual shenanigans, is what it, you know. <laughs> At passionate, you know, you still want the sexual shenanigans, but you actually love the person. And then this is what I didn't get about the first one, companion. I I guess, you know, maybe you're just buddies that want to do life and gardening together, you know. Um so all right, the the fourth one, mutual user. Go ahead, Ben. Right. So the mutual user, this is
0: where we start getting into uh I think the, you know, different motivations um for the relationship. And this is where both employees are seeking Advancement, financial rewards, increased vacation time, lighter workloads, power, security, uh, other types of job-related benefits and resources. So they're trying to get something job-related out of the relationship, and they're both doing that, um, you know, as part of this this uh, workplace romance. Um, so that's that's another category.
1: Yeah, I I just see this sometimes. Maybe you've got people that are peer managers. And they're also busy, but they're also sleeping together, and they're also playing office politics, but they both know. I mean, I guess this might be like one of those kind of power ethical flings. I I don't know if you could call it that, but, you know, they're, these are people that are moving on up using every means possible and I guess having some shenanigans as part of it for fun.
0: Well, and the thing is here is that it's mutual. So both employees are seeking to get something career related out of it um, versus the fifth one, which is utilitarian where one person is seeking that, right? So one person is seeking the career related benefits. um, Whereas the other person is maybe seeking adventure, satisfaction, excitement, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, so mutual user, both are kind of trying to get ahead in the workplace as well. Um, through the relationship, utilitarian, one person is the other person isn't.
1: Or, or could just be called banging the boss, right? I, I, su- I suppose, uh, that could be one way to describe <laughs> it, right? Um, so you know. I, uh, more, uh, survey here. So, um, career builder also said a th- one third of people had dated a superior And of those uh, third, 42% had dated their boss. So I, you know, we want to talk about stereotypes. It, it, it does happen, right? Yeah, Um, it it does. People are people. So anyway, I don't recommend any of these ones, except maybe the companionate one. But um, let's talk about how this forms in the workplace, Sure. So it's not unreasonable to see how this
0: happens, uh, because, you know, romance can develop out of things like repeated exposure. You you know, at work, you are exposed to the same people over and over again. Um, Interpersonal attraction, love, emotion, attitudes, uh, maybe some sort of social exchange where you're helping each other with different things. Um, And maybe some sort of group dynamics, you're working together on things. Uh, And so, you know, these types of kind of these are all like pieces of the recipe, so to speak, that go into creating a situation in which it's more likely for uh, workplace romance to develop. Uh, Some of the research on this suggests that um, there are a couple different uh, what we call antecedents or predictors, um, factors that make this more likely. Uh, So things like Just being in proximity with each other, um, physically, also functionally. So you're doing similar things, working together on things. Repeated social interactions makes total sense. Um, You know, having similar work and non-work related attitudes. um, you got to be attracted to each other, right? So mutual attraction. And then uh, favorability of attitudes towards workplace romance. So if you both kind of think like this is okay, like that's going to... um, you know, make it more likely that it'll happen. If one person is like, you know, I never date anyone at work or whatever, then it probably won't. And also a little bit of job autonomy. So people you know, who have a little bit of discretion over how they do their work uh, can also play into this, uh, you know, kind of this recipe that these ingredients, so to speak, that that create workplace romance.
1: Yeah, it's kind of, I don't know, what was that MTV uh, show where they get a big mansion? They give college kids nothing to do, tons of booze, ta-da, you know.
0: <laughs> I think that describes, like, every reality show.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. I don't actually watch them. I don't either. That, but um, it, they're going to hook up, right? Mm-hmm. That's what happens. Now, if you take people and put them in jobs where they're working 80, 100 hours a week, um, and they have no outside activities, and they're stuck together, That's a recipe for, you know, at least attraction.
0: Right. Right. Well, and and the thing is, is that a number of those things that I mentioned as uh, potential predictors or antecedents, so to speak, of uh, workplace romance are are actually things that you, you know, a number of them are things that you kind of want, um, you know, in terms of an organization. You want people to be able to work with each other in proximity that can help with teamwork. You want people to have repeated social interactions so they can make sense of what's going on and problem solve and so forth uh and and you want people to have job autonomy like so um you know in a sense you're if you're running an organization well uh you're actually creating some of these situations in which it uh could be more likely
1: yeah you know when i was in undergrad i was in some you know musical theater type things mm-hmm. and um people would feel the romance uh, back you know, backstage and stuff. Um and so they'd like we should go out. And I you know, I remember it a couple times. It's like actually th- these aren't real feelings, right? This this is the magic of theater. This is the magic of you know, working on this production and it's okay to have some of those feelings that you can't actually control your feelings, but w- your actions at least if you're a disciplined individual individual it, are are your domain, right? Mm-hmm. And so you know, don't beat yourself up. Uh, don't necessarily think that, you know, just because the feelings are real doesn't mean the relationship's a good idea. Right? right, right. Great.
0: So we've talked about some of these different types of workplace romances. And we talked about kind of how they form, some of the different ingredients that go into making this more likely. Uh, maybe now we turn our attention towards what are some of the impacts that this can have uh, on the individual, on the team. And on the broader organization, because I think that's a really important place to focus upon.
1: Right. So, yeah, if you're an individual and you're in an office romance, uh, I guarantee your thoughts about going to work each day, if that romance is going well, (laughs) are going to be different, right? That is a big if, right? Yeah. If it's going well. Ben, you got a spring in your step on the way to work. What's going on? <laughs> <you know? laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, it makes it it makes it better to go to work probably if there's someone there who you really want to see. Yeah, and you know, increased motivation, all those good stuff. You know, culture plays a big part in this. Um, does this organization support these types of relationships or not? So. And, you know, when you're so busy at work, it's just nice to meet somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we've got Cupid, Tinder, all of that kind of stuff. But, you know, the meeting somebody digitally has this kind of different approach than the visceral approach you get when you're able to interact with a variety of people and you are just naturally draw- drawn mm. to somebody, mm-hmm. right? So it's great to meet somebody and and that'll impact, you know, how you do at work. Maybe you'll be a little distracted or or whatever. But there's also some not so good individual impacts. Um, You know, sometimes it's nice to just go to work to go to work. Right. Uh, It is.
0: Yeah. If you're not looking for that, um, looking for workplace romance and other people are and they're interested in you and they're bothering you. Uh, you know, th- this can really create a problem um, if people are pursuing you or if you are pursuing others and they don't want to be
1: pursued or you don't want to be pursued that that when it's one sided. Whoa, that, that can create some problems. Right. And you just don't expect it. You're sitting here. I know I was at um, I was doing some work. We we're in a team environment. You know, we're working on this project and I, I'm operating the mouse and this girl puts her hand on top of my hand while we're operating the mouse and i was just like what (laughs) 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 completely unexpected um first of all where were these girls for me when i was in high school (laughs) yeah my my high school dating life was oh gosh but anyway um It was just completely unexpected. And then you just think, oh, gosh. Well, Mm -hmm. what, you know, is this? And so I just said, hey, what are you doing? Let's just, let's work, okay? And then thankfully that was it. And I'm sure she felt embarrassed because she probably felt there was some signal there or something. But that's that's the whole thing that's rife in this deal, right? Mm -hmm. And individuals may not want to be pursued. And... Let's just be honest about sexual harassment and how unfortunately prevalent it is. Yeah,
0: yeah. You know, so one piece of data we came across is that, you know, a a poll of the largest U.S. service and industrial companies finds that 66 percent of female vice presidents report that they have been sexually harassed. That's 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 crazy. Two thirds.
1: Right, two thirds, and you know this happens to guys as well. Um, wow. we just haven't studied it as much, and and it's sexual harassment is baloney. Yeah, I mean mm-hmm. it is it is the w- worst word you can think of. So yeah, and
0: it really can be destructive to having a productive work environment. It really can because it it just can really create um a lot of tension it can create uh
1: just an en- enormous distraction uh it- it's it's a it's a bad thing it's like chopping your legs off in the company so you know trade shows the minute i say trade shows the thing that comes to mind is everybody meeting up in hotel rooms right mm. or um outside of the workplace booze involved you know type stuff but if something if a, a sexual harassment incident occurs you know, it leaves the other person like, How do I work with this person ever again? Right. right. And and it also can diminish other people's views. First of all, the harasser should have the diminished view, right? Let's, right. Let's be honest. But that that's not what always happens because there's this, you know, we're figuring this out as a culture. And when I say figuring it out, there's a lot of people that haven't been educated on how to dag on act in the work.
0: <laughs> that's for sure. Or even if they have, they haven't listened um and and continue to misbehave right so you know i think another so we'll talk a little bit more about sexual harassment and what that looks like uh when we talk about kind of organizational impacts here but uh that that's certainly uh, you know a very important area Uh, another impact that this may have on individuals is you know let's say you have some sort of relationship um people may not like you right if you are having a relationship with another person especially if it's a uh, a superior within the organization they may question your fair the fairness of that situation if you get promoted um or if there's some sort of you know power type of dynamic there
1: yeah you know you're dating the boss and then tada your your career's on a <laughs> rocket ship you yeah. know There may be no shenanigans going on, but the people that are competing aren't going to think that no matter what you tell them. Right. Right.
0: Right. Um, Yeah.
1: Also, you know, it's if you're not in a relationship around Valentine's Day and everybody else is and talking about it, you know, that, you know, that's not the best feeling out in your regular life. Right. Right. But but then you're like, finally, I can go to work and, and be away from this stuff. Oh, no. Look everybody else is hooking up. Yeah. Uh, I don't have a relationship. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that, you know, when you go to work, you want to build collaborative alliances and work type friends with your peers and a culture and all those stuff. You know, this is like putting a lit stick of dynamite in there. So, so when, when relationships dissolve, trust dissolves, um, there can be reputational damage and retaliation. I'm going to get that person. Who broke up with me? The jerk, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Sam, you know, take this, you know, or right. Brenda, take that, you know. These kinds of things. So all all of this goes into say, this is why we say, for the love of God, don't do it if you can avoid <laughs> it. Right? Yeah. You know, it's a it's a common thing for people to
0: you know start to develop romantic relationships at work, but um, you know. Uh, if we had to fall on you know one side or the other, we would say don't do it. Uh, avoid this. Now, you know, with all that being said, I, you know, I do know people who um, I know people in the military. I know people in civilian roles who have uh, you know developed relationships and had extremely um, you know long term wonderful relationships that happened th- originally through meeting at work. Uh, it's just a, it's just a, something that has to be navigated very carefully, and I think you need to give it some due thought and attention uh, with regard to your behavior at work.
1: Right. So let's talk about the team impact. So um, there's this 2008 study by Steelcase um, that said 85% of respondents believe that office romance is a workplace distraction, which to me, this is, you know, everything's about evidence base, playing the odds. You know, if eighty five percent thinks it's a distraction, yet the numbers of people that are engaging in uh workplace relationships, there's some overlap for the ones that think this is a distraction, other people that think it's a bad idea. <laughs> well, maybe and... they
0: want maybe they want to be distracted from their work.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh Oh, the cynicism I mean, prevails. Yeah, I mean you
0: think about it, it's like, hey, this, this job is horrible and I I would much rather
1: um I I mean I think it's a valid point. Oh my gosh. Ugh. Well, you know, we look at this stuff, frankly, so because right. everything, you know, one thing I really hate is like how sterile it is that we talk. I mean, we are real people with hopes, dreams. We live, we die, we have families, all that kind of stuff. We just got to be honest about this stuff. So yeah. um, team impacts. One of the things is if you're really trying to get ahead and move ahead, when you're in an office romance, people will start to view you as one person. Hmm. Um, Potentially. Yeah. Yeah, potentially. So we and when I was in college, we had this guy, great guy, uh, Brian Wooten. And I forget his wife's uh, maiden name at the time, but her name was Audra. And they were so entwined. We called them the Woodra. Um, <laughs> I, I actually think he's an Orthodox priest or something now. He, really talented guy. But um, that's that idea. Brangelina, like we talk about these kinds <laughs> of couples, right? Somebody's yeah. been reading us weekly. Uh, wait a minute, what's us weekly? Oh gosh. Oh no, Ben. It's it's one of those te- it's one of those magazines about like pop culture and stuff. How do you even know
0: what that is, Ben? I saw it once in the supermarket.
1: Uh-huh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. So so that's that whole idea. If you want to like really move ahead, you risk being viewed as a the couple unit rather than an individual contributor. So now that being said,
0: it is interesting. Like, so for example, in academia, it's actually fairly common for people who are already a couple um, to be uh, employed at the same institution. And then it's actually considered like, Hey, if we want to get this person, we may need to get their spouse too. Um, And uh, so there are are ways that that can be, but, but I think that one thing that helps in academia is that, you know, it is um, one reason I, I like academia is that, you know, you are generally, um, you know, rated and your performance depends upon your individual uh, contributions, right? Your, your publications, your teaching, and that's, it keeps things separate,
1: right? So um, it, it can work out that way. And academia is already full of a bunch of weirdos, so weird <laughs> dynamics, I guess, <laughs> kind of the norm, right? <laughs> I, 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 su- I suppose so, but of course I'm not part of that. <laughs> I'm not the weirdo. Right. <laughs> but but this, back to the couple getting the focus, so um, they get the focus from both team members, but they generally uh-huh. get the focus from the management, so... You know, if you're a manager and like, "Uh oh, there's a romance on my team, Mm. you know, that starts to suck some attention from the other team members, which those team members can resent. And then also it's kind of a distraction to managers, like managers that aren't careful with handling this, experienced with handling this. They stop providing because they're distracted by making sure, right? And there's always this titillation factor around office romance, which I don't get, but the they're not focused on how those other team members are doing or giving feedback and directing that work as well. You know, mm-hmm. that's, that's a risk. So that, that contributes to stuff like perceptions of fairness. Oh, well, not only do these guys have a relationship, the managers all sucked into that vortex. Right. right. And, um, a jealousy, you know, around some of that, you know, so that, that the teams that's why they say 85% thinks it's a distraction. Right um can't be that good right? right so let's talk about some of the organizational impacts here
0: sure so this is where where things get i think particularly dicey and uh you know some th- some things that i think leaders and managers need to be really careful with and be aware of um because you know these types of um relationships can uh be uh related to or lead to other types of issues. And in particular, what we're talking about here is the issues related to sexual harassment. And, um, you know, that, that, as we already mentioned, can be very destructive in the workplace. So, so uh, you know, I, the way I like to think about this is the, the best organizations, um, are ones that truly help everyone, all of their members flourish at work. And, uh, sexual harassment is a major impediment to that flourishing. Uh, oh, and and by the way, it's also illegal. <laughs> you, you can't do this. Um, uh, it, it's it's this is something that involves both things that people say and things that they do. So it's words and actions. Um, you already mentioned this before, but it's not. I, I think generally, uh, you know, maybe it's been studied a little bit more. Men harassing women, and it probably is true um but uh it can occur uh, across any combination of genders um if we had to define sexual harassment uh this comes from uh, a a book that I actually use for one of my hr classes uh it's called the manager's guide to hr and uh, and i quote um the way that they they define it in that is uh i quote unwelcome sexual advances requests for sexual favors and other verbal or physical conduct of a sexual nature That explicitly or implicitly affects an individual's employment, unreasonably interferes with an individual's work performance, or creates an intimidating, hostile, or offensive work environment. So, uh, there's a lot going on there. Um, Of course, some key features are that it is of a sexual nature, uh, that it creates this, um, some sort of hostile environment, it interferes with the work environment
1: overall. Right. So yeah there's two general categories on this stuff um and ben what because you do this in your h r class sure. so well yeah, just keep going yeah, yeah. so i i'll I'll, uh, <coughs> I'll mention these two general categories
0: the first one is the quid pro quo uh this is uh you know that that means this for that, and this type of sexual harassment is actually a little bit more clear cut than the second type but this this type of sexual harassment is when the harasser Has some sort of authority, some sort of ability to reward or punish. So this is the boss, right? Uh, Usually it's someone who has uh, some sort of hierarchical uh, authority over another person and they attempt to do something or request some sort of favor from a a subordinate and they, um, and then of a sexual nature, right? Uh, And so An important thing to remember here is, of course, that's that's sexual harassment, and the employer is liable uh, for those actions of the supervisors, right? Those people with authority, um, because they are acting as an agent of the organization. So uh, the quid pro quo type, um, this for that. The second type of sexual harassment is what we call a hostile work environment, and this is a little bit broader, and this is actually a little bit harder to define, uh, there's actually some kind of strategic ambiguity, as I like to call it, uh, in the the legal framing of this, but this is where um, a situation is created at work that is hostile, intimidating, offensive, and it negatively affects someone's ability to do their job, uh, and this is uh, through words, through actions of a sexual nature. Um, this is a little bit more difficult to prove than a quid pro quo case, right? So this is you know somebody saying certain jokes, people uh you know staring at other people. This is offensive um, uh pictures or other types of things in the workplace, and uh the key here is that at least from a from a legal standpoint, um the way this is oftentimes thought about is it must be unwelcome conduct in the eyes of a quote, unquote, reasonable person. This is kind of the reasonable per- reasonable person standard. Uh, you know, it's kind of, we know it when we see it type of thing.
1: Right. Um, and do you really want to let your future career, um, your legal status, being sued, all that stuff rest with some court's idea about what a reasonable, I mean, there's so much right. room, wiggle room there just stay far away from this
0: stuff. right. Right. Uh, You know, and sometimes I I have I have students and I have managers who say, you know, oh, well, you know, some people are just really easily offended about everything. And good. uh, Be careful, then. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I think that is a response. Right. I think it's, you know, be careful Um, now. Now, will are there cases in which people will, uh, you know, claim some sort of sexual harassment when it's not actually sexual harassment? Um, Yeah, that can happen. Um, But I, I think the. You know, the proactive way to approach this as a leader and a manager is that you should be uh, very careful. Um, and what you want to do, and I think you can approach this from a positive standpoint, right? You, what you're trying to do is create an inclusive environment in which everybody can do their best and not be worried about non-work-related shenanigans. Uh, and if you're focused on that, then, you know, I think that'll take care of this other stuff. Um, you know, so both of these categories of sexual harassment, the quid pro quo and the hostile work environment, these can both result in legal action by employees and they will, they can try to hold the employer culpable, um, you know, unless the executives took a couple big steps, right? That they, you know, took some sort of strong action to prevent it um, and, or they, they tried to activate some sort of response plan if
1: something did happen. Right. Right. So, okay. So let's, let's talk about implications for Everybody, um, individual teams and orgs. So what should we do and not do? (laughs) Yeah. So why don't you tackle the first one of, you know, what are some things you should do as like
0: an an individual? You know, if you're if you're looking for love, uh, where do you try to do that?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, when I was a kid, it's like my aunts, uncles, everybody said, listen, you can't control everything else that happens in the world, but you can control yourself. So this, Mm -hmm. for you as an individual, this is, you know, this is the front lines of, you know, what you should do or not do. So just daggone avoid it if you can, right? We have meetups, social clubs, you know, get on a nonprofit board, Tinder, OKCupid, (laughs) you know, all... All of this, there's every flavor of dating app um, that you can even think of, right? Right. So if you can't help it, though, which is going to happen, right? Make sure you know your company's romance and fraternization policy, or if they require, you know, some of these organizations require a relationship contract of sorts where both people come in, disclose the relationship, um, sign, we acknowledge we're in a relationship and. I'm not that familiar with the details of those, but you know, if your company requires it, you should probably check into that, right?
0: That's right. That's right. You definitely should know at least what the policy is. Um, most organizations who have paid any attention to their HR uh, function have something usually in their employee handbook or, or elsewhere that outlines what this looks like in terms of, you know, fraternization typically is about unduly familiar relationships um, of right. a romantic or non-romantic relation, uh, nature, right, between subordinates and superiors. Um, you know, but, but you got to know the policy. Uh, and, you know, if something starts to develop, then usually um, part of that policy is that you have to disclose it uh, to HR so that you can, so they can know. Um, And then they also try to ensure, um, pending the policy, right, depending on what the policy is, uh, make sure that you're not in a supervisor-subordinate relationship
1: um, organizationally. Things get dicier if there's different levels of Mm, power, right? So avoid avoid those, right? Um, Especially if you're the one in higher power, you have the ability to just nix all that stuff. It can be flattering. It can be tempting. But it's... Definitely. Ugh.
0: Yeah. Well, and the thing is, too, and and I don't know if this is I don't, I don't know if I'm speaking for I don't want to speak for women necessarily, but I think, you know, men men are oftentimes harassers. Um, I think they do it a little bit more. Um, uh, But, you know, as you get more senior in an organization, uh, you can lull yourself into thinking that you are, you know, that your jokes are funnier, that you're you're more attractive than you used to be, right? Because oh, people treat you well because people treat you differently. As right. you be right, as you become more powerful in an organization, um, it's kind of natural for everyone else to uh, put their best face forward to you and, you know, if there is you know if you're writing their performance review, yeah, they're probably going to be pretty nice to you. Um, and don't get confused with those signals uh, that that you may be getting from someone. Uh, these are not most likely not romantic in nature. And if there's a power differential, that, that really can create some issues.
1: Right. So I've seen this where somebody at the director level's falling for somebody that reports to them, mm-hmm. and they're maybe looking for a VP promotion. Other people that make that decision look at it, and they're like, this, this person's a risk, mm-hmm. right? What What are you doing? That being said, I've seen some people like, "Hey, listen, we know we have real feelings, so I'm gonna quit and go to another company so I can pursue this without being in in a direct um uh, relationship as yeah. far as with their but you know if you're if you're Fred in accounting at manufacturer uh facility number five and dating um Tim and manufacturing number facility, number two, you know, same company, it's a huge company, you know, that, that could be okay. Right. Mm -hmm. Um,
0: well, that's why, you know, some organizations, if, if you are an organization of sufficient size, like this wouldn't work in a, you know, 10 person startup, but, uh, if you are an organization that has the ability, um, you know, moving people around, uh, so that they are not in any kind of compromising relationship, uh, organizationally, if they're involved romantically, that can be an option. And that
1: is oftentimes a step that's taken. Right. And, and since we know you won't listen to these, right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just put yourself in a situation, your friend comes to you and they say, Hey, I want to, I'm thinking about dating so-and-so. And you're like, don't do it. It's horrible. It's a bad idea. They do it. I mean, there's seldom people that follow advice. I mean, maybe 10%, which still give it because you might reach that 10%. Don't let them walk the plank. But um, since you won't listen to some of those, avoid it if you can. Don't date over the power differentials. Take it slow. I mean, you probably Mm -hmm. won't listen to that one. But (laughs) Everything that you're um, going through with somebody needs to be negotiated ethically. Mm-hmm. um the whole thing safe sane consensual right those ideas need to inform how you conduct your workplace romance mm-hmm. um and then on a practical level um make sure you keep your texts and emails and stuff um with you so if, if if there's a bad breakup and bill wants to sabotage susan or whatever he might say hey she harassed me but if you're like wait that's actually not the case. We've had a relationship for a year and a half. You know, here's examples from emails and all that kind of stuff. When you go to court, you know, legal cases have shown that there are different outcomes for individuals who have evidence of some kind of ongoing relationship versus something that could look like, you know, abject harassment when it's taken out of context. Right,
0: right. And it's, it's, it's kind of one of those things where you're not thinking about that when things are probably going well in the relationship. But should they go sour and should one member of that relationship uh, choose to be vindictive about it, uh, you could have a real problem on your hands if they take some of these communications out of context and you don't have an ability to uh, to rebut that.
1: Yeah. And I mean, and this is a thing with all the HR stuff on this. It's completely sterilized, but we know when the what goes down in the trenches, there's weird pictures, text, all this kind of <laughs> stuff that happens out I mean, they're happening in high school for God's sakes, but like HR people won't talk about them. I I don't know why they won't. But we know what it looks like in the, you know, modern day. Mm -hmm. Make sure you keep some context uh, for that stuff in case you need it. Uh, That being said, none of the revenge posting of private stuff like that's just unbelievably unethical and in a lot of cases prosecutable. So don't don't be doing that stuff. So. All right. For teams, all right, so you're on a team, somebody has a relationship, Ugh, so annoying, right? But let, let's talk about how to navigate <laughs> that, right? Since this stuff's going to happen to you anyway, right? Yeah,
0: yeah, I mean, I think th- this is one of those situations where communication is so important, and, uh, you know, as the leader and manager of that team, um, people need to be treated the same, regardless of the relationships that are going on in that, in that group. Um, because the you know actual fairness and the perceptions of fairness are really really important uh, for any kind of trust to develop for people to be productive when they're working together.
1: Right, and and that's not just the managers that should treat somebody. If the person to your left or right are, is in a relationship, treat each of those people as individuals. Don't treat them like the Brangelina. Right. Yeah. So. <laughs> right. So, and if you're an individual team member or manager, right, on that team, verbalize if somebody's making you uncomfortable in a supportive, you know, friendly way. You don't, you want to be the Debbie, oh, that's Phil, Phil's mad at our relationship. You know, that's, (laughs) that's not what you want to do. You want to be like, come on guys, we're about to start a scrum meeting and we come into the, uh, you know, conference room and you're kissing or (laughs) holding hands. You know, what is this like high school youth group or something, you know? You know, come in here like, come on, guys, that's not what we want at work. Love you, but let's let's get this team meeting started. Right. right. You, you don't have to put undue weight, but don't wait until you have a burning resentment against those team members. You're you're mm-hmm. not setting them up for success and you're not setting yourself uh, up for success.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And if there really are problems that are derailing the team's success, I mean, that's where you've got to get some consensus around it. You've got to bring it up together and and work through it. Um, you know, and this is going to be a lot easier if you have from the beginning treated people fairly, if you've had good communication patterns as a right. leader and manager, yeah,
1: you've set them up for success and it's still going on. Everybody on the team's annoyed. Um, it's time for a carefrontation, you know, <laughs> Ann and Bill, all right, everybody thinks this lame. You got to keep this out of the workplace. It, you just can't do it in a way that's just not, you know gross Mm -hmm. and annoying, right? And, and distracting. Um, so if you try that, right, you talk to them as an individual, you do a carefrontation, you know, probably by the time you step to the carefrontation, you need to start getting management's awareness and support along the way. Hey, listen, we don't want to stop them. We're glad they're living, um, the life they want to live, but you know, management can kind of get involved like, Hey, you know, Ann and Bill, the individuals and the teams you know I'm kind of paying attention to this too now because it's becoming a broader distraction
0: right, right, yeah, and you know I think a, a few other things for teams is you know get some uh support along the way as you need it, uh you know if you are the leader or manager, make sure that you are following your own policies uh Absolutely. that you have in the organization. Um, you know, and, and, you know, I, I think you, you can support people, right. Cause this will happen. It can happen to the best people in your organization. And, you know, we only get one shot at life. So like, you don't want to ruin something that could be amazing for these people. Um, but you kind of want to do it in a way that that's, uh, that's productive and that doesn't gross people out.
1: Right. Right. So if you're a team member on that team, support them having their best life, but be like, Hey, you need to support me having my best life as somebody who has to work with you sickos. Right.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I don't want to have to like see you, uh, either, you know, with big public displays of affection that maybe are inappropriate or, or whatever else.
1: Right. Right. Absolutely. All right. So let's, let's talk about for organizations. Um, Mm. if, if what should they be thinking about from HR and all that kind of stuff?
0: Right, so there's a number of good things in that article by John Pierce that, uh, and we've we've posted links to these in the show notes, so our listeners can check them out. Um, But you know, the first thing is, as an organization, you need to have some sort of policy on office romance, right? You need to clear and clearly define sexual harassment, clearly define what a hostile work environment is so that people are aware of it and you got to make sure people are aware uh you know it's not just that it's in the employee handbook and that people usually you know when you first get hired maybe you sign something saying that you read the employee handbook um I, there there probably should be some actual training on these types of um topics during orientation making sure that people actually understand them uh and then you also got to follow the policy so sometimes uh you know an organization maybe has a great policy but they don't follow their own rules uh and that can lead them into hot water as well um because that can be one of the first things that that gets looked at when uh you know if there is some sort of legal action that that occurs it's like hey do you have a policy well did you follow your own policy you didn't uh right that's <laughs> I mean, uh, you're yeah. stuck you know
1: to- totally yeah so and it's unfortunate that that organization. So the minute you bring this up, everybody's like, are we going to get sued? Are we going to, well, how do we not get sued? Yeah, what do we got to do? That's, that's great. But we want, this is actually about your broader organizations, culture, productivity, and team. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, people, you know, taking a legalistic approach tends to be a bummer versus when we talk about enhancing people's flourishing at work. Guys, this isn't about the the letter of the law. This is about making the kind of place that the most people can come and thrive at work. You know, they these don't have to be like we can't wait to not get sued type, you know.
0: <laughs> right. Right. I mean there's it's kind of the compliance uh approach versus the engagement approach. Um are we going to just be risk averse and Uh, You know, have all these policies and rules and so forth. Or are we also just also going to take our focus to making sure that we can have a place where everybody can be their best at work?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So with that being said, you got to have structural solutions to address the whole perception of fairness stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. So if you know the best way to get promoted around here is get in a relationship with your boss. That's not the culture one. So mm-hmm. let's say there is some kind of romance. Maybe you have, you know, okay, this other person's going to judge that person's promotion or or that manager has a way of recusing themselves from a, you know, suggesting somebody for promotion type and thing, you know.
0: Right. You know, and so another um, important aspect of this is that you really need to have a clearly listed uh, response plan, have some sort of escalation plan in the event that something happens uh you know so what are you going to do if you have um you know some sort of allegations of uh of sexual harassment what is the reporting mechanism for that for people and how can they uh how are you going to deal with that as an organization you got to do some contingency planning here
1: right um clearly listed response plan great but none of that stuff really matters unless you've done some training you know, manager training and organizational training, um, you need to validate that with legal, conduct that training, keep rosters of, hey, this, you know, so if this manager screws up, it's like, not only is it not in our manual, or, you know, this, it's listed that this is unacceptable in our man- manual, this manager received training on, you know, January 5th, 2020, um, you know, all of those kinds of things, Um which, I mean, this is just compliance, but what you don't want to lose an eye on is productivity. So if you're the manager, you're like, okay, I've checked all these box, I've done all this stuff. Everybody on my team's in a relationship now, living their best life, but our output's cut in half. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're not in the right spot there, you know? You, yeah. You need to keep an eye on productivity and and make sure your team's achieving its goals, Um, you know, fulfilling their promises to what they're going to deliver to the organization.
0: That's right. That's right. Uh, And then, you know, making sure that you have a data retention and acceptable use policy for company equipment. And this should be something you have anyway. Um, But this is helpful because if something does happen, then uh, oftentimes those are the sources for some of the evidence.
1: So those are some implications for individuals, teams and the broader organization. Uh, ben, why don't you give us a review for what we talked about today?
0: Sure. So today was a, was kind of a fun one. We had a little bit of fun talking about this uh, this topic, but it's a very important topic, and uh, um, this idea of workplace romance. And we talked about these different types of workplace romances, how they form. Uh, we talked about some of the different impacts that they can have on people, on teams, on the broader organization. And then we wrapped up with some of these implications, some things that we should do and not do as uh, people, as teams, and as organizations with regard to this entire topic of workplace romance. Thanks for listening to the Indigo Podcast. If you like this podcast, please consider helping us by rating us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, telling your friends about us, having us on your podcast, or mentioning us on social media. Our website is www.indigopodcast.com, where you can access more information about us and this episode. Thanks again, and we look forward to talking with you again soon.